What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, there are very few names that I've said on this podcast as much as Dr. Allison R. Woody. She's the commissioner of Chicago's Department of Public Health. Now as the city rolls out a new vaccine mandate, Chicago public schools closed this week and the city is facing a surge unlike anything we've seen in the last year. We have lots of questions for the doctor. It's Thursday, January 6th. I'm Jacoby Cochran and this is CityCast Chicago. Chicago is averaging the most cases since the beginning of the pandemic in early 2020, uh, 4,500 cases a day, up 7% from last week. We have the highest number of hospitalizations to date, more than 1,000 people. Those numbers were delivered this week as they have been every week for nearly two years by the commissioner of Chicago's Department of Public Health, Dr. Allison Arwoody. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N. Public Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwady. Uh, I'm Dr. Allison Arwady. I'm the commissioner at the Chicago Department of Public Health. So we have a question here. Does cooking kill the coronavirus? Why is Illinois included in New York's quarantine list? Is it actually the law in Chicago to wear a mask? Yes. Arwady became commissioner in January 2020. Dr. Arwady, did you have any idea in January 2020 uh, Like, what was in front of you? Did you have a sense of this? No. I mean, I had worked on a lot of outbreaks, including international outbreaks, Ebola. I'd worked on Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, which was our previous coronavirus uh, outbreak um, internationally, and then a lot of outbreaks here. We had literally spent the year before COVID hit uh, modeling out what if the pandemic from a year ago hit Chicago now? What would that look like? Uh, What's different? What's not? This worry of overwhelming your health system, sitting here in, you know, a the wealthiest country in the world early on and really honestly thinking we might run out of ventilators. Like we might not be able to give people the medical treatment. That was not something that I expected to feel here in this country. We were recording this interview on Wednesday morning as hundreds of thousands of public school kids are at home after a late night vote. I'm talking, most of us didn't find out until 1030 uh, from CTU to not teach in person and and to try and remove, uh, move things remote because of the surge in COVID cases. You joined Mayor Lightfoot and CPS CEO Pedro Martinez yesterday to say why kids should be in school. You said something that I was really struck by. Do you know what the maxim is that public health leaders share when we talk to each other? Schools, first to open, last to close. Schools, first to open, last to close. 
to most of us that that sounds you know a little contradictory because it feels like we're putting kids in an environment where they potentially get sick. Can you can you kind of break down that the thought behind that? What we've seen first of all is that thank God COVID in children does not show up like it does in older adults in terms of how um, seriously ill they become. Is it possible for a child to get seriously ill with COVID? It is possible. Does it happen often? It does not. If you look at the two years prior to the COVID outbreak starting, how many kids were getting hospitalized, you know, in a year through our flu season, for example, that is very comparable to how many kids get hospitalized, you know, got hospitalized through this. You're not saying flu and the coronavirus are comparable. You're saying how it impacted children, how it impacted children. Exactly. And that's, and thank you for that distinction because in children where we actually look, you know, soberly at that data, thank goodness um, that it's been that way. And that's before vaccines were available. You add vaccines onto that. um, And I strongly, encourage, you know, I'm hoping this disruption to school will be really short. Uh, but in the meantime, if parents are having to be out of work and kids are out, use that opportunity to make a vaccine appointment for your child, get a booster for anybody older in your household who hasn't had one. Because with that, the risk is almost nothing, honestly. We've not had a single vaccinated 5 to 11-year-old admitted to the hospital with COVID at this point. Are we seeing more breakthrough cases? We are in people who are vaccinated and boosted with Omicron. They are generally getting a very mild infection. We're not seeing a ton of additional spread from that. Approximately 90% right now of the folks in these very full hospitals are unvaccinated Chicagoans still. I have a question to that. Yeah. Have we had a particular coalescence like this past holiday season? We could argue it's the first holiday season where more people went out despite having a vaccine. More people got together. More people combined. You know, five to 11-year-olds, they might not be in a hospital, but they don't live in apartments by themselves. They live next to their parents. And and the union did say that the goal wasn't to disrupt learning. Our first speaker today is uh, Brianna Hambright-Hall. Uh, from Park Manor Elementary. We never said that we were going to stop instruction. All we said that we wanted to shift to remote learning just for a little while until the surge goes down. That's not asking too much. If it was asking too much, then other districts across this country would not have said it was okay. I teach at DePaul and in Elgin Community College and Harold Washington and they all decided to take a couple of weeks. What's the difference between elementary school and high school and, and universities that decided to, to take a quick ball? Yeah, that's a good question. For me, there's actually a lot of difference. Where you're looking at universities, number one, you're looking at adults who are not dependent on the schools, frankly, in the way that younger children are for uh, even basic things in, in many cases like meals and safety. Adults are set up in a way that that learning is can take place more. Here is my class. I'm logging on and doing that. They're set up to do that in a way that young children simply are not. And my worry is just that, you know, are things, if, if we knew Omicron was going to peak today and that Everything would be much better in a week. This would be easy. But my concern is what happens next? What happens next week? What happens the week after that? What happens when the next variant comes? What, like, at some point, 
We do have to live with this virus. And living with the virus does mean doing everything we can to make the essential things in society as safe as they can be. My brain is having such a hard time yeah. making that make sense because, it, you know, I, I know some some kids who live at a house. Their parents are, are working from home right now. It's just like four people in the household. And you're telling me it's, it's less safe to be in that household, you know, like with two weeks since maybe their grandparents came into town for Christmas and New Year, since cousins and uncles and people stopped by, it's safer for them to go back to a building of 2,000 people where staff and adults and their peers are all coming from different places. Like, can, can you help? I, I just, that's, I'm having a hard time making that jail in my head. Yeah, absolutely. So last, like a year ago, when schools came back, you know, Chicago public schools did not come back in person, but all of our others did. The archdiocese, the largest private school system in the U.S., um, plus a lot of the others. And we actually did a, that was sort of a natural comparison. Um, and we looked at what were the COVID rates for children and staff who were in school during that time period or not in school during that time period. Higher COVID rates, children and adults the ones that were not in school. Would cases be high in schools right now? They would be. But our schools themselves serving as the point of transmission? By and large, they are not. Wednesday night, the Chicago Teachers Union and CPS was still at odds about returning to in-person learning, so classes are canceled today. One of the current sticking points is testing. Dr. R. Woody and CPS head Pedro Martinez said they're working on getting more tests to schools and will work with school nurses to administer them. The union wants to stay remote until we get more testing, but also wants parents to have to opt out rather than opt in to have kids regularly tested. However, Mayor Lightfoot made it clear she will not agree to make testing opt out. And a reminder, schools are open for kids who need meals or a place to go. We'll be right back with more of our interview with Dr. R. Woody. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. The mayor is a politician, an elected figure, so she has to deal with the political fights. I heard a lot yesterday about don't politicize the pandemic, which... You know, coming from a politician is is, is interesting. Uh, but you're appointed, and as a doctor and public health official, you may not have, you know, figured you'd be at the center of politics, but you're in 
increasingly are. Do you fear that as policies like vax mandates or even allowing large concerts like like Lala to go on, you know, are unpopular, you'll be the scapegoat? The politics in this country around COVID are really different than anything that I had experienced previously. And they've been, they have been one of the hardest things um, to navigate. I have worked hard to try to depoliticize situations where possible. So if there have been a lot of hard decisions over these last couple of years, but I've been really proud of the fact that for the most part, we have managed to keep those debates and disagreements out of the public. I think the school's conversation would be the the one exception to that. Do I personally get a lot of negative feedback? Of course I do. Yeah. Can people trust that when you're up there talking, standing next to CPS CEO Pedro Martinez and, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot, that what you're saying takes precedent over the agendas that either of them may have? Yes. And I can say that Absolutely full-throatedly. What I can tell you is, you know, we've been every day still, every single day, you know, Monday through Friday, I am on the phone, you know, with the mayor, with the senior team. We start those 8 a.m. calls with the COVID numbers, the hospitalizations, what's happening. We've been doing that for two years. I'm weighing in and the economic advisors are way and the, you know, there are a lot of forces at play here and there's tension as there should be. But all along through this pandemic, I have been really pleased and secure in the fact that if if I, as sort of the representative of this is what we have to do from a public health standpoint, that has taken precedence every time. Really, the virus has just revealed some longstanding social inequities, right? It's only, it's hit the communities that are hit hardest by every other social ill that takes place in our city and across the country. And so at times it feels as if, uh, you know, leaders have scapegoated one, the virus, and now the unvaccinated. But at what point does the city take accountability that we've seen so many lost lives? We see a growing distrust in, in that. That's not because of the virus. That's because of the relationship the city has with the rest of us. The way we have seen people take, I'm not going to get vaccinated and have that sort of become part of their identity in some ways, their political identity, um, is not anything that we've seen before. So I'm not, you know, I, I mostly feel sad, frankly, when I talk to people who are unvaccinated. I don't feel mad at them, and I hope others don't feel mad at them. I feel sad that something about the things that they are reading, the people that they are talking to, um, the belief systems that they have, the lack of trust in government, which is which is very real, have put them, you know, at at risk of a serious illness here in Chicago right now. And for me, this is as much a conversation about the fact that we as a country don't actually think health is a basic human right, that we tie health access to jobs. We don't have a basic, you know, public health um, and healthcare infrastructure that you get regardless of who you are. Less than 50% of the black population is vaccinated. How do you respond to those concerns specifically from black and brown populations? Very early on in COVID, if you remember, 
here in Chicago, this hit the Black Chicagoans first and hardest. Why is that? Because of all of the longstanding inequities that we everything were just talking about. Hits everything hits the black right? folks in Chicago. Everything hits the black folks. And it does. It does. And we see and 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 that is unacceptable as a society. Like it just is. My concern right now, two years in, is that those racial COVID outcome gaps are the largest they've ever been. The largest they've ever been. But the biggest reason for that is the differing vaccination rates. We've got high vaccination rates in white and Asian Chicagoans. We've got medium vaccination rates, although actually they're, they're, they're getting much, much better in Latinx Chicagoans. And we've got low vaccination rates in Black Chicagoans. And I know I'm not the best messenger a lot of the time necessarily. You know, I represent the government. I represent a whole long history of unfair, uh, frankly, racist principles that have been in place in this country. But the medical decision to not take a vaccine at this point continues to weigh the hardest on black communities in Chicago. And it's not just that it's unvaccinated Chicagoans filling up Chicago hospitals. It's mostly unvaccinated black Chicagoans. And, you know, our teams continue knocking on doors. We actually see the most uptake um, for our at-home vaccination program from black Chicagoans. The city will send vaccine to your house. Yeah. For for a lot of us, you know, like myself, for example, I've been doing City Cash Chicago from the crib uh, for the last year. I've been able to hide out, work from home. You really can't. You know, what is the hardest part of the last two years personally? You also in a pandemic, too. Honestly, the hardest part has probably been worrying about my team um, because not just me, but everybody at CDPH has been working so much and so hard. And this is true for healthcare workers too, right? I'm always thinking about, you know, are my folks taking a break? Are we are we doing what we can to not burn the people out who I need to be able to, you know, sort of keep on? Um, and it's, you know, this is demoralizing for the public. It is also demoralizing for my staff, right? After all of this work, after, you know, 77% of, of, of eligible Chicagoans have had at least a first vaccine dose. Like we really, like, you know, some of these goals that we've set, we've been able to reach and yet it's, it's not enough. Um, so all of the, you know, the personal things that folks have, everybody in this city have had, I of course have had as well. And then that's, that has been compounded by, um, you know, a lot of fairly personal, um, uh, you know, attacks and protests and people mailing scary things to my house and things like this. And that is not something that I ever expected. When you look back on the last two years, practically, do you have any moments where you have regrets or you thought, you know, maybe I wouldn't have recorded myself listening to Polo G with the mayor right before 100,000 people went to Grand Park? Oh, yeah. That one's good, too. Yeah. But you know what's so much better? What? When it's live. Ugh, you're right, it is. What do you think, Allison? You know, I think we can do it. We keep getting people vaccinated. We keep making good progress. I'm giving the green light. 
Do you have any moments that you look back and you think maybe that wasn't the right policy decision, that wasn't the, the right way of moving forward? On Lala quickly, knowing that more than 90% of those folks coming to that event were going to be vaccinated at a time when that was not as common, knowing that that was going to be outdoors, et cetera, um, we made that decision to go ahead and it was the right call. We did not see uh, significant outbreaks. We did, you know, and, and that is... Do I get nervous when I have to make those calls? I do. One of my concerns around Lala in particular was even if there wasn't an outbreak, the message that it was sent to other people to take protocols lackadaisical. Because even though there were supposed to be vaccine checks and, you know, you say 90 percent of people are vaccinated. For some people, they just see 100,000 people going to the park. I don't really care what the protocols are. It kind of feels like we don't have to take things as seriously anymore. That was always my concern. And that you can't really chart for that. You can't put that on a graph. You know, we were not in even the elevated risk level from CDC. And when we can get back down out of that, yes, we can gather with 100,000 people outside in a park, especially if everybody or just about everybody's vaccinated. Like, could we have that event right now? No, of course we could not. Could we have it last summer? Yes. I tell my team... That as long as they are making a decision with the best information that's available, they've considered the options, um, they can justify it with some data, uh, and they've thought about the unintended consequences, that I will 100% support that decision. I really, you know, honestly can say that the big decisions we've made all along the way um, the guidance that I've given, et cetera, have been what I believe to be the best thing, you know, for Chicago at that moment. The commissioner of Chicago's Department of Public Health, Dr. Allison Arwoody, thank you for being on CityCast Chicago this morning. And, uh, you know, get back out there and, and, and deal with Twitter trolls. <laughs> I don't I don't watch the Twitter trolls. Uh, thank oh, you so much. I'm, I'm glad you did not because yesterday they was they was on it. They, I they know. <laughs> I know. I know. Now, we heard from some CPS parents about classes being canceled. Juan Jose Gonzalez said he understands the anxiety of teachers, but wondered why the union didn't vote last week, giving CPS and families the chance to prepare for remote learning. John in Ravenswood said he's got love for the teachers, staff, and admin in his neighborhood school, but feels incredibly salty about CPS's broken testing promises and continued lack of communication. He says it feels like families are just held hostage watching to see who blinks first. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Shout out to the Chicago Red Stars who announced a broadcast deal with WCIU and Univision to televise games in English and Spanish next season. The team lost a heartbreaker in the NWSL finals back in November, but we're going to be back. And some good news to get you through. The Gene Siskel Film Center in the Loop is celebrating its 50th anniversary all year by playing 50 classic films from every year they've been open. Mondays is 1973's Day and Night. It's French. If you love what you hear from CityCast Chicago and you love reading our daily newsletter, tell other people about it. we got a little referral program. You tell your friends, your family, you can win some CityCast swag, a tote bag, some stickers, Jacoby come to your crib and shovel your snow. 
I mean, it's a lot in it for you. So tell somebody. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. It's French. La nuit américaine. Uh, 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 américaine. I can't remember exactly how they said it. It's something like La nuit américaine. La nuit américaine. Américaine.